Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's in Your Head podcast. Digitized live from the ACT Computer Studios in Cape Coral, Florida, it's the What's in Your Head podcast with your hosts Gordon and Don Abernathy. What's up, what's up, what's up everybody? It's another episode of the What's in Your Head podcast. It's another Monday. I about said Tuesday because I did a very long podcast last night and I'm worn out. But for those of you watching at home and streaming along on uh, YouTube, you're like, who who are the other guys? Why does it look like Hollywood Squares up in here? Well... (laughs) That's because we have a huge announcement, but first, as always, join us from Las Vegas, Gordon Abernathy. Gordon, how are you doing tonight, sir? You know what? I'm doing okay. Doing, doing all right. Getting good grades? Yeah, Future so bright? Uh, we'll see. You, you got to wear shades? Well, it is Vegas. You study nuclear science. You love your... Never mind. Yeah. You know, the 80s music. Join us from the newly minted, yet to be published. We have the new episode up. We're just getting the ducks in a row. It's our friends Michael and Ron from the new podcast on the digital 410 network the tackle your best podcast and it's funny how this came to be um i think two episodes ago gordon and i were talking about my fishing exploits or lack thereof and michael for those of you uh who follow us on youtube you may have seen michael in the last two videos he's the guy floating around in the bright neon green lifetime kayak michael and i have been texting back and forth and uh, he's been giving me some advice about fishing i said hey man have you ever thought about doing a fishing podcast and i said no I said, I've only been fishing for four months. I don't know enough about podcasts. I mean, podcast. I don't know anything about podcasts either, but I don't know enough about fishing unless I were to call it the I don't know how to fish podcast. And he said, well, I've been kind of thinking about it. I said, well, look, if you want to start a podcast, I would be happy to host it on our network. And I would love nothing more than to have another podcast on our network, but one that I have nothing to do with. And so that's the plan with maybe the exception of making an appearance every once in a while. I'll talk about fishing because, well, I'm down for the cause. But Michael, Ron, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing all right. Doing all right. Yeah, yeah doing pretty good. Now, Ron, yeah. you are down in South Florida, right? Damn near Everglades yeah, I live area. Out in Naples. Oh, I thought you're further down. The way you're, when I was listening to the podcast, you made it sound like you're like damn near in Everglades. So you're down in Naples. Pretty though? much, actually. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm out in the estates, so I have a like, oh. nice little piece of heaven out here and uh, a little pond uh, in the backyard. A apparently, pond that I get to fish in, but. <laughs> And you guys also have a little company that you've been working on called PB Baits, which is uh, Personal Best Baits. And uh, you have a Facebook page people can follow you at, at uh, PB Baits. Just run and search for that on on uh, Facebook. But uh, I guess, Ron, maybe we'll start with you. Just give a little background. How long have you been fishing and uh, how long have you been wanting to do a podcast? Well, uh, I was raised here in Florida, uh, so I've been fishing my whole life out here. You know, it's kind of hard not to when you have so much water around you. Uh, you know, uh, kind of gotten to just, well, I've always done freshwater and salt, more salt than anything. Uh, but the last couple of years have been really getting diving deep into, uh, freshwater and, uh, brought up the idea with to Mike. I was like, you know, why don't we just start our own bait company? Cause I'm, I'm the gadget guy. I just, mm-hmm. I'm always at the store buying stuff. And I was like, well, let's cut out the middleman. Let's just do our own thing. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's funny. I made my first leader last night from a braided line, and I got this 20-pound Guggen uh, car- fiber, I, the opposite of monocarbon. I always get tongue-tied on it. Fluorocarbon. <laughs> that I bought, which is like fishing with speaker wire, but I made some leaders with it last night and went out last night. I caught a, with my lip 
um, hook on there, which I didn't get the chance to zero out the scale, but the lip hook was like 0.21. And once I put the bass on, it was like 1.93. And then I caught another one 10 minutes later, did zero out. And that one was 2.23. And we went out again tonight and Carrie caught one that was 2.30. So for the last two days, we've caught in three bass well over two pounds. Well, two over two pounds, one just slightly under. Actually, since you mentioned fishing line, and it's mm-hmm. something I was always seeing under the impression on. Don and I talked about it this weekend. Now, it's been forever since I fished, and I, I live in a desert that's quickly losing water. So Thanks, California. Fishing, uh, on my future, but the test of a line, he says, seems to be different. The numbers mean different things between braided and, and monofilament or whatever, and I always thought it was the tensile strength to break said line. Well, well before you answer, to give background on this, I... If you guys watch the videos that I put up, um, two months ago, I got a Guggen Squad half-ounce Hummer bait, Hummer buzz bait. And mm-hmm. two times now, my braided line, I'm casting, and the line snaps. You know, it's like 15-pound test braided line. The damn thing snaps. Second time, it snapped like five feet out, and so I had enough line floating on the water I was able to retrieve it. And, of course, I called Michael. like, what the – how is – 15 pound test breaking on a half ounce weight. He's like, well, you got the, you know, it's kind of like hitting your car, you know, you got speed. But then he says that he fishes with 60 pound braided, which is the same diameter as, you know, 12 to 15 pound, you know, uh, mono, uh, monofilament. And so is it, how does that work? How, why am I breaking 15 pound braided line with a half, half ounce um, weight on there? And is it, is it, Apples and oranges, or is it is it completely different as far as between monofilament, um, the braid, etc.? Well, with well, okay, there, there's with line. It really depends on everything. So if you're using like top water baits and stuff like that, going straight braid, uh, if you especially have props, can be a problem. So you know um, you're always going to want to have some kind of stiffness of a wire. You know, think about it. If you take a piece of uh, a braid and just drop it, it's kind of like going to soft serve down. It has no rigidity to it. So when you're making those casts, if you're using braid, sometimes you'll get your treble hooks locked up into your your treble uh, your your braid locked mm-hmm. up into your treble hooks. So you want to use like leader wire in between it. But then you got to ask yourself like, okay, well. What am I using? If it's uh, if you're sinking a bait, then you want to use fluorocarbon. Fluorocarbon sinks. Yeah, it's denser, it's clear, and it, it's invisible. Um, it also has uh, braid has no stretch, and mono is like a rubber band. Yeah, if you're using mono and then you put that with a pole that's like let's say a medium or medium light, you have that very heavy whipping action. Yeah. So, like Mike said, you have speed, you have the whip, and then you have that stretch. So you add those all together, yeah, you, you look at your pole, and sometimes it will tell you what line to stay within. Now, um, I'm I'm a power fisherman, um, so Mike's a finesse guy, so I use heavy, heavy line uh, and a heavy pole usually. Uh, it's kind of weird for me to go to a, a, a medium or medium light, um, and I'm getting into it, but uh, my my theory is if I can't if I can't reel it in I'm just ripping it out you know. <laughs> well, I'm currently fishing. I right now I have a um I got a Abu Garcia medium heavy um with running uh, fluorocarbon with an eight to one Cast King bait caster, and then I have an El Cheapo thirty dollar Walmart Berkeley amp salt water with a um running now fifty pound braid with a twenty pound leader that I just made with uh on a cast king uh valiant eagle five to one and so it's working well now but it's it's getting into this stuff it's finding out that you know the little tricks and like 
you know, on your podcast that will premiere probably the first of this coming month, you know, Mike was talking about our trip out, which you guys can see on YouTube. We were out there. My Garmin Striker 4 was going nuts. It's just lighting up goldfish. We have it instead of the check marks. It makes little goldfish icons just like the mm. crackers. This thing's lighting up. We're casting. We're fishing everything and not getting anything. And I tell Michael, hey, the water temperature is like 85. It's seven feet deep. They're floating at four feet. And he said, well, I'm going to go wacky rig without a weight. And as soon as he started doing that, he started pulling them in. And like mm. you were saying on your guys' premiere podcast, it's figuring it out, doing that detective work. It, it really makes it fun. Just like last night trying different things and pulling in those two pounders, which the 2.30 is my current personal best. As Mike was saying on your, your podcast, which you guys can download through all the podcast apps, as well as their website that will have linked through d-410.com. Um, Carrie did catch a six pound bass on a freaking Ozark trail worm. Wow. And I will never be able to beat that. I, I know. <laughs> Yeah, that, that thing that thing was a monster. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I've never been in a boat with a fish that big, with the exception of deep sea fishing when we were younger. We we're on a big charter that like 38,000 people are on. You know, one of the big Florida, Florida tourist specials, and everybody's tying, you know, getting our lines snagged off each other. Mm-hmm. And she's this thing's fighting us. It's spinning us in circles. The kayak's spinning. No anchor. We're free floating. And it, part of me in my mind said, "Is she gonna pull up a fucking alligator?" Cause the tip's going down. We're spinning around it. It's, and you guys are talking on your podcast, which you guys be sure to check out. The The bad thing about shoreline fishing is you usually catch it three feet off. There's no fight two reels yeah. and it's in We're. Yeah. It's, I, I think it took her four and a half minutes to get that thing in. And by the time well, I sometimes got it could be beneficial to have no anchor, you know, that's yeah. less on your drag, you yeah. know, it's less tension on your line, you know, let it pull you, let it fight, let it wear it out. Uh, and, that's <laughs> and that's exactly. And, Sadly, it was at the end of the day, so the only video camera that I had going is my GoPro Hero 3, which is our underwater camera, which the resolution sucks, but I got a little bit of footage. Of, the time we got that thing in the net, it was the, it was gone. It was wore out, and so was she, but uh, we, uh, we and luckily, we had just gotten a scale. Ironically, like she had a conversation with a family member like three days before, like, ah, oh, you can't catch any big fish from a kayak in Cape Coral. Well, we did, <laughs> so well justified. Shout out to you, Mike. You're going to come out here. Well, if I was you want to see big fish, there's nine. My uh, my buddy just pulled a nine point two out not so long ago out of uh, the lake we were just showing you on that podcast. Are you guys familiar with spearhead hooks? Uh, no, actually, no. I got them not last month, but the month before that in our um, mystery tackle box, and they sat in my tackle box for a while. They got a weird shape to them. Um, they have what they call their patented V grip, but basically. It, you just got to Google it. Just Google spearhead, uh, EGW, um, V grip hooks. They are perfect for uh, Texas rig setups. Uh, we have yet to get a fish swallow on them, and every bite hookup we've gotten, that hook has gone through their top lip. Like the way they're shaped, they're patent pending. These things are awesome. Like, sadly, it's like the case where you go online to order some because you can't find them around here. It's like $5 a pack, $6 for shipping. It's like. <laughs> Why is the shipping got to be more than a damn item I'm buying? So even if you buy two, <laughs> it's $10 for two packs and it's $6 shipping. It's like, son of a bitch. But check them out. Um, you can order them through Walmart and they'll ship them to you for free. But check, I'm telling you, Michael, check out these uh, spearhead hooks. You'll they, they got a weird shape to them, but you'll dig them. They're, they work great. And resetting your worm on them, once you, you, know, you pull that worm off, resetting mm-hmm. is in no time flat. They're just, the way, I, they're, the way they're yeah, shaped. I, 
I've got a picture of them right here. They look so odd. Yeah. They're, they're just so, they're curved so odd. Yeah. Ron, you'd have to really look at that to actually understand what he's talking about. But if you look, see how the hook is like exactly perpendicular with the eye where you tie your line on? Yep. And so yep. when you when you put your worm on, you put it through the eye ring when you come around and usually you're putting your finger, you're measuring it. I just go straight up with the hook and then let the worm go and then I just pull back a little bit and set it in there. It's no time flat. Um, weedless perfect and once again we have yet to get no one has swallowed these things yet and they always for some reason that shape the hookup is always on the top of the mouth and uh i wish this was sponsored by spearhead it's not i would love to get a pack of those fishing hooks <laughs> i'd give them out to everybody what's up jim scion he's checking in on the facebook live so um just um oh the other thing the great you guys are talking about the meme um which is what Carrie and I are talking about tonight. The irony of fishing is when you're fishing on the shore, you're casting out into the lake, and when you're on a boat, you're fishing to the shore, and that is, like, perfect. Oh, it's very true, you know, and, and, and we were just fine. Mike was over at our house today, and that's what we were doing. Just, like, for the first half of our fishing, we were just casting out in the center, slow reeling in, and it's like, you know, we just talked about this, this you know, over the weekend. We need to be casting in the weeds. We need to be casting in the grass, you know, and um and it, i cast once right over the grass and I, a lot of times when i'm bank fishing if i can get to the other side i'll cast right onto the shore and slowly pop that right in through the grass bring it into the grass off the shoreline and sure as shit as soon as i did it I, I had something hit it right off the grass didn't hook it but you know pop right there right in that grass line we're talking what seven inches less they're right there waiting well you guys should I want you yeah. to repeat what you guys talk about in your pocket just shortly about the Florida uh, summer bass because from my reading, I'm like, oh, well, summertime, water's hot, oxygen levels, the fish are going to be deep, going to be deep. But what I learned from your podcast, which, by the way, I listen to your podcast on Saturday night, Sunday, I'm pulling in two-pound fish. I'm just saying. So I don't know if it's from what I learned, but give a, give the guys um, listening and following along at home what you're talking about by actually they're going to be in shallower water with higher current because of the grass and the oxygen levels and all that. Well, it's a little bit of both. So you're going to have some fish that are going to be going out deep and suspending themselves. Um, and it's really if they're traveling or if they have a home. But some of them, you know, they'll get in that grass and you think like, okay, it's burning hot. It's 90, you know, whatever degrees out. And you think that, you know, shallower water would be um, just as hot. But they may be. But they're, 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 they're hiding that grass shadow. And if there's a current on the top of the water, if it's making waves or just a current in general, that means there's oxygen at a higher oxygen levels at the le shallower points of the water. So they're going to stay there. They're going to, you know, think about yourself. Would you rather go deep and be eh or go be hot and breathe? Yeah. You know, and that's kind of how, you know, they're, they're yeah, the, it's, it's basically the lesser of two evils. You know, they, they, they're basically going in and saying, you know, what do I want? You know, is, do I want to be cool or do I want to, you know, be able to breathe just like you said, and, and them laying up in that grass line, they're just sitting there waiting for something to cross in front of them so that they can eat. They're very lazy. They're not really moving a whole lot. You know, they're just kind of, it's it's the biggest thing that I can compare it to is like a snook out in saltwater. A snook will sit there on the bottom 
and wait for its prey to come right in front of its face. It's very lazy. It doesn't have to do very much to go and get it. So that's that's kind of what they're doing right now. And that is the truth. Um, both last night and tonight when I got to the seawall, I was casting that buzz bait. I just went down the seawall and back up, casting next. Cast out, reel on the left. Once I came back up, no hits. I said, okay, they're not being active. They're being lazy. And then we both just started casting those Ozark Trail worms. And I was actually casting, letting it drop, doing like a four four uh paddle retrieve and then letting it drop again and that's i that's when and it was like three feet off the wall and i grasped it that's where those two pounders were, were laying down they were they were sitting in their recliner waiting for uber eats to drop off their food they definitely weren't going out and chasing it down <laughs> because once again i i x patterned all the way down and then back up the whole seawall and then put i put the hummer bait away got out the worm and just started worm flipping and we started i pulled in two of them last night carrie pulled in that big one tonight. She pulled in like four tonight. I only pulled in one, but you know, it's weird that way. Um, the universe will give you fish one night and tell you to fuck off the net. So it's just one of the weird things. Now, obviously the name of your podcast is tackle your best podcast. What's kind of your goal? What's your, um, content format? Are you guys going to try to provide people with solutions, ideas, help out beginners, talk about different baits what's basically the generalized format for people watching and thinking about checking out your podcast what's your your idea well the basic gist of it is um when i originally thought of the idea was you know give people experience that we have you know we fish from kayaks we fish from john boats we fish from the shore you know the seawall just like you do you know give people that kind of perspective because there's there's millions of videos out there there are you know hundreds if not thousands of youtubers that are out there and 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 even you know some podcasters here and there that they all fish from a bass boat mm-hmm. every single one of them that is out there dollar from bass, bass boat, boat. Exactly. So, you know, I haven't heard too many people, you know, on YouTube that are fishing from the bank, aside from, you know, a video here and there, you know, like Guggen Squad will post something or, you know, um, there's I forget a, who the other one yeah, is. Yeah, there's but, a cat uh, that every once in a while he'll pull off the interstate and like fish under like um, overflows and stuff like that and pull some big guys yeah. out. But yeah, m- most of them are your competition level or bordering on competition level. Hey, I got my bass boat and we're going out in these huge lakes and, um, you know, exactly. There are yeah, so, people. So, you know, you end up tending to looking for the people that bass fish professionally or, you know, that you can trust their opinion, but then look at them. They're on a hundred thousand dollar bass boat. You're like, well, I'm not that person. $30,000 so. worth of three screen Garmin multi-mapped 360 true time depth finders where you can jump in the water and you'll show up on the screen swimming in front of your boat. Well, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, and, not at all. And, 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 you know, I, I, to me, it's all about marketing. You know, they want to market, you know, the, their sponsors and things like that. You know, they, they want to say that, you know, this hook is the best and, and this is the best. And people go out and they spend, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not thousands of dollars on all this equipment and they don't catch jack shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we go out there and, and, and we have, you know, a couple dollars here and there, you know, 10, 20, hundred bucks maybe. And, you know, we're, we can go out there and slam them. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is, is, you know, tackling your personal best. It's, it's that, that whole, you know, thing is, is kind of a double, I guess, entendre, I think is the word I'm looking for. I don't know. Um, 
but it, it's it's basically you know you getting out there, you tackling your personal best, and 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 you know having fun is is always the key point to doing that. It's funny that you talk about people buying all this stuff and still not catching anything. I remember growing up and being a teenager. <laughs> How many hours did we spend out there floating trying to catch walleye and striper? My poor dad. Um, we had a pontoon boat. We lived in Columbus, Ohio. I'm coming. And we'd go every weekend. We <laughs> sometimes we'd get out there at midnight and spend all morning on these boats trying to catch walleye. And and how many did we catch? Put it this way: it, you, you can watch. <laughs> You guys can watch, like, when I first started fishing on my YouTube channel, I think the fourth video in, I said, I've caught more fish in the last month than I have in my entire life. And <laughs> and it's so weird. Now, obviously, we're fishing with live bait, but I was talking to a guy, my cousin today on the phone while I was fishing, I said, you know what's weird down here? I said, with the exception of when I fish with crankbait, I catch nothing but bass. Up in Ohio, it's always bluegill and catfish hitting on it. Crappie and... Down here... If I'm fishing with a top with a jig or a worm, I catch nothing but bass. The only time I've caught anything other than bass is when I'm fishing with crankbaits, and I've caught three tilapia, carry uh, gar on a crankbait, which is super weird because they're super picky. Not that I those things stink too. You don't want to catch a gar; those things suck. And a couple <laughs> of Mayan cichlids, but uh, yeah, um, it's so weird. I guess, but to to be fair to our friends up north, um, I was talking to some guys on a kayak one day, and they had a whole damn stringer full of, full of bass because they were eating them. Apparently, we have so many small fish down here. Up and up north, fish have to be above a certain length to keep them. Down here, I guess it's anything smaller than sixteen inches. You can keep five a day. <laughs> Just get them out of the water. That, that we have so many of them down here. Is that well, I'm true? I'm a big advocate for catch and release if they're under a certain size, but mainly because if for a bass to get six pounds, mm-hmm. that's beating odds. That's beating odds. I think it's once they get up to about uh, four to five pounds, they can start eating fish almost their size. Their yeah. mouth is larger enough. They they can so, so that's when they start jumping in size. So when you catch that big trophy bass, you're like, oh, like I'm strictly catching and releasing my pond because of that. I'm like let that let that go because and you know next year you're going to try to catch that bass and it's going to almost one third of its size grow. You know you're going to be catching a nine pound bass in a year now. You know, in that next year. So, you know, that is beating the odds. That's like someone reaching a hundred and, you know, four years old now. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, wow. You know, but people catch a three pound bass and like, oh, this is big. I'm keeping it. I'm eating it. You know, and that was just, that's teenager bass. Mm-hmm. And wait until it grows. It's just now growing. Yeah. I told Carrie, I said, maybe if we ever get destitute, we'll start eating canal fish. But no, we're, we're all, <laughs> we're catch and release on every one of them. I mean, hell, we mm-hmm. feel bad if, you know, one swallows a hook, and we sit there and try forever to get the damn hook out. Or in the case of my big ass bottlenose turtle that got away from me. But um, speaking of which, <laughs> um, have you guys ever inadvertently brought in a damn gator? Once. What did you do? Call Florida Fish and Wildlife. Say, come help me get this thing off my hook. Or did you have uh, somebody no, I with you? That thing up. I thought I was. I mean, I was young. So mm-hmm. I haven't caught, and I now I know the experience of what I was catching. But now you were saying walleye. We don't have that many fish. But when I was young, I mean, really only have like you said, like catfish, gar, uh, largemouth bass, uh, tilapia, bluegill, and mayans. You know, so just all in peacock. You know, so but when I'm young, I don't know what's in the water. I, I have most of my family up north in Michigan and Ohio. Like you said, so uh, you know, I know like walleye and all that. Uh, but I'm reeling in this fish, and I'm like the pole is just. Bending, 
And I'm, I'm thinking I'm reeling and fishing. I'm like, tell my friends, yeah, I got a huge one, huge one. And I'm, we're, we're on a bridge and it's dark. And it wasn't until I got it up to the shore miraculously that I was able to, you know, then take my headlamp and look down and be like, oh, that's not a fish. That's a gator. <laughs> what did it catch on? Something with a trouble hook? Well, uh, no, it was, uh, I was using a gold torpedo with a little prop on the back of it. Uh, you know, I don't know why it ended up biting it, but it was about three inches long. But there was no way I was able to actually reel this gator out of the water and up a bridge, you know. No, so no it was like little Cape Coral Canal bridges. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like that that tall, you know. We're talking twelve feet from the water to where I was up to the high. But like it was a three pound ga- or a three foot gator, yeah. you know. There ain't no way I'm going to break a pole. So yeah, we just cut the line. I'm like, I don't want to dick with this. <laughs> I could imagine like like fighting with that uh, soft shelled turtle whose shell was bigger than my head. That thing was put him a fight. I couldn't imagine a gator, but we have one we call Wally Gator now, and he's a little tiny guy. But apparently, I think I can't prove this, but I think somebody's feeding the damn thing because um, on the video I just posted today, as we're casting out, every time it sees our bait, it swims towards us, and then we keep going further down. Not only do we not want to catch, but I'm assuming that if there's a goddamn, even though he's a tiny guy, if there's a gator there, the fish are going to be choo, gone. So we're like trying to go down the seawall. But every time we literally, and you're familiar with the Lake Zurich when we went out kayaking on where we went down the Four Corners, Michael. So yep. we're on that seawall. We end up going down the canal and we're fishing under the bridge. And I walk back down and he's sitting right there. Like, so he went from the far right wall down at the end of the seawall. He came all the way up. He was like following us, looking for us. I'm like, go away. Just go holy shit but yeah he was wow. just he was just following us i i seriously think somebody's feeding that damn thing which is which in itself is illegal but it's like you're scaring a fish and i don't want to inadvertently catch you and just go away luckily yeah. i never see yeah. him when i'm on the water the only time we see him is when we're on the seawall but at least now i know he's out there well mike's mike and mike's son both have a, a good life lesson here it's not the big gators you have to be afraid of it's the little ones they're immature. Mm-hmm. They're dumb. They're, they'll, they'll pretty much strike at anything. Going back to like me catching that three that three foot gator, it's small. They're young. Uh, we were doing a camping trip in my backyard uh, just to make it easy for his son, and um, uh, we were, you know, were gathering rocks to make a little fire, you know, fireplace. And uh, we were right on the edge of my pond. And uh, what, what do you say it was? How big was it, Mike? That one probably two, two and a half, maybe. Yeah. Well, this thing came out of the water and gator bulldog you know, stood right up on the floor and, you know, his sandals right next to me and, and, and came right out of the water and just stood at us, uh, stood, stood there and stared at us. And I was like, get, get back. <laughs> but those, those young gators, they're ballsy and yeah. they don't know any better, you know? So those are the ones that are more likely, I mean, trust me, you know, there's big gators that attack too, but it, it's those young ones that are curious, you know, so they're going to go after your bait. They're going to, they're gonna uh, they're gonna swim towards you, and and even the big ones, if they have someone, the little ones that are protecting, they're gonna keep an eye on you. You know, I um I live closer to the Everglades, like you said, and I'm out waiting and you know up to my belly button. I'm six seven, so Jesus. I'm up beyond my belly button and, and gator and fessed waters with snakes everywhere, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not worried about the big ones at all. You're braver. And we're I now am. saying Don is no longer the tallest person, at least on this show. Hey, thank God for that. <laughs> I, if I had my guy. way, I'd be like I'd be like five nine, six one at the most. It's a short man's world. We're just living in it. Short people don't understand the the joys when you turn eighteen. You get that first apartment. It was built in nineteen seventy two, and the shard head hits you right here. 
because it's so damn low, and so you basically have to take a shower on <laughs> yeah, your knee. Hey, I'm only six two, and I get it. <laughs> so. Or like, well, you're from up north. Remember when they used to do the the ceiling with like that stucco blob crap, and so you had like stalactites hanging off your ceiling. So you take off your shirt and drag your <laughs> knuckles across it and rip all the skin off your knuckles. <laughs> I laugh because I come sympathy. Or uh, if I you have family who li- to sit down on a bus when I was sitting. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or if you have families who live in trailers with the low hanging ceiling fans or chandeliers in the kitchen and quack. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm surprised I'm not bald. I just got the mad receding line from all the ceiling fans. <laughs> I was going to say, all us, and you know, I still, I'm considered tall. We all got lumpy heads mm-hmm. from hitting our heads on shit, you know? Question for you guys. Carrie asked me to ask you a question because she's frustrated. And it's about fish brain. The app fish brain, you go to log your fish, right? For mm-hmm. tonight, she caught one that was 2.23 pounds. Now, the Android and the iPhone version seem a little different. Um, on hers, when she like types in two pounds and goes to two, three, it'll round it down like one, five. But on my Android, I can't type in anything in ounces over nine. But when I put in nine and go to the next, it rounds it up to like two 1.53. Is there like a secret to how that damn is it? Are we doing something wrong? Is it calculating a weird? Why is it like I think if I, it's I, I think it's more in their programming. There's probably something going on with their app or something like that, and they just haven't realized it yet to put out a uh, an update to fix that kind of a bug. Because I've I've posted on there a couple of times and I've I've never had that issue before, so it must be something new. Yeah, like last night I, I literally had to go in there and put in uh, one point five and then when I added it it rounded up like one point nine three. But if I put in like I can't type any numbers higher than nine. Um, and on right. hers, if she, when she put in two, three, it would change it to 2.15. But um, I was looking with the keep, you know, like, cause you only have one through nine on your keyboard. So it's probably glitching with that. It could be, well, we're doing it from the, the phone. So now we just make it have to take a picture of the damn scale and just post it. <laughs> so I just post a picture of the fish with the picture of the scale. That, um, that makes it more, uh, to a point where people actually believe you. Yeah, yeah I was going to say believable. If you don't have a picture in a scale, it's not true. I always forget to measure the length of the damn things. I've It's built in my scale. I just never think about doing it because I'm more concerned about how long a fish has been out of the water. And so yeah. I'm, I just want the weight, the picture, I'm gone with you. Did I, I hear you say a word? Don, I've seen a couple of your videos and I've seen you release you know, some of the fish and I could swear you're yelling something when you throw them back in. Um, no, I haven't yelled yeet. I've yelled yeet a few times when I've casted my Guggen out there, but I haven't yelled yeet when I throw my fish in there. And the only time I throw the fish in, like in the kayak, I'll set them down and do the whole thing. But when you're standing, you're six, two and you're standing on top of a six foot seawall and the water's down, it's like, well, I can't exactly climb down the sea. Oh, Real quick, we're running out of time, but just remind me. So, I, sadly, I do have to throw them off the seawall. Either that or climb down the six foot and then let them in nicely. So, uh, two videos ago, and we're talking about this, I cast out my Guggen bait, got a bird's nest. My braid snaps. The damn thing flies. Thought I lost it. It was the one that I bought to replace the one that I lost from Carrie's. And it's a $12 damn bait, which is the most I've ever spent for a bait. But luckily, the line broke eight feet of line, was floating in the water, yada, yada. Fast forward tonight, I have it on my fluorocarbon. And I'm fishing, and it's not, it's not a tangled bird's nest, but it's loose on the freaking spool, and I don't rec- realize until it's in the water. And I'm like, well, I'll just reel it in, kind of tighten it up, and then I'll just do a nice long cast, get all that shit out there, and get a nice clean roll. I'm reeling in the fluorocarbon, and the damn line breaks, 
and I'm watching one do 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 do. I'm like racing up my pole. It falls in the water. I actually jump down the seawall because here it is the same damn twelve dollar bait. And st- I step one one wet shoe, and I was able to grab the line and pull it in. But I've almost lost this damn twelve dollar bait twice now. It sounds like you're not meant to have that bait. I'm not. <laughs> no, not I'm at not. all. But the fact that it's the first bait that I've actually caught a fish on, other than a crankbait and a worm, like prior to that, I didn't consider myself a bass fisherman because you always see them catch them on swim baits with tails and all that, and I'm only catching them on worms and crankbaits. It wasn't until I caught the one on that same seawall on that um, that Hummer bait that I felt like a real bass fisherman now. But uh, I want to thank Michael and Ron for joining us. They are new to the, they're not only new to the family, but they are the first new to the Digital Fortin Network, first podcast that are not hosted by yours truly. So we're super excited about that. We're kind of building the company here. Um, we're, we're shooting to have their, their podcast will be, we already have it in a can. We've got to upload it. It'll be out on all the apps first of the month, hands down. Uh, the website will be updated as we go. So when you guys go and we'll post a link to it as of right now, it's a subdomain of digital 410. But if you guys do have a domain name, we can always point to it. We'll worry about that later, but uh, be sure to check that out. And we will announce it here on this show and obviously post it on our Facebook when that podcast is available. And that is the tackle your best podcast with Mike and Ron, Mike, Ron, thank you guys so much for those of you hanging out at home. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back because once again, we're on the free version of Zoom, and if you guys want to stop that, which was very embarrassing on the what on the uh, what's the scuttlebutt podcast last night, have either one of you seen HBO's The Pacific? No, it's the PTO version of Band of Brothers, right? It's all true. Uh-huh. The the one of the lead characters' names is Eugene Sledge. He's like one of the main authors to tell about the war in the Pacific. And if you're in World War II and PTO, he's very he's like. Everybody knows who he is because his book was that detailed and great. I had his son on my podcast last night. He's showing us his dad's artifacts and and had to do the same thing. Hey, it's 40 minutes up. we got to take a break. But if you guys want to help us put that to an end, head over to d-410.com or the what's in your head podcast.com. Sign up for Patreon. It's only a dollar a month, and that'll help us to uh, support the channel, support the cause, and all that good stuff. And please... While you're there, click on the YouTube link. Um, we're working on a thousand. We're getting ready to scrape into the 500 marker. And for those of you who are a uh, subscriber and a fan, you know that once we get to 500, I'm going to put out a video. And everybody who comments on the video, I'm going to who has subscribed to our channel, their name is going to go into a bucket. We're going to pull out a series of them, get down to the final two, and then Carrie and I are going to have a fish off. And whoever catches the first fish. That person who's being represented by either me or Carrie will win a Cast King Spartacus 2 bait caster that we will send to you order directly from Amazon. We're not going to send you some used one. So we are going to give away a bait caster when we get to 500 subscribers. So head over to Digital 410 on YouTube. Subscribe. We're getting close. We need like 42 more people and help us get to 500. So then maybe one day we can get to 1,000. But Michael, Ron, thank you guys so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I will talk to you guys here in a day or two, and we will get your podcast up for the masses. Thank you, guys. Gordon, hold tight. Will do. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And we are back. Sorry about that kerfuffle, that guffaw, that little mess up. That hoot nanny. Yep. So I am excited, um, one, to have a podcast on the network, and two, a podcast that I have nothing to do with. It's not more work for me. And, uh, you know, it just broadens the horizon. And as we said last week, if anybody's listening who wants to get into the podcast game and has all the equipment and knows what they want to do, but can't figure out the back end, like where to host it, how all that works. 
send us an email at info at d-410.com. And who knows, maybe, perhaps, just maybe, you might be the second new podcast on the Digital 410 Network. So what have you been up to? What's new in your world, friend? Oh, shit. Um, not much. I do have a Netflix Okay. You have a Netflix started, rewatch? Uh, yeah, one that we kind of... I didn't think I'd like it. I thought it would be more child-oriented. Okay. It is more PG-13. And it is actually kind of post-apocalyptic. It's called Sweet Tooth. Go ahead. I thought... I, I was watching the previews. Like, oh, this looks like this is kind of child-driven. But they actually... It's some minor cussing in that. and It is... Definitely one thing that I don't like about it is the quote-unquote bad guys, the government people, have a black and gray American-style flag with mm-hmm. the 13 stars and a, and a red line through it. Like uh, That reminds me of uh, you know the, the firefighter flags, right? Yeah, and it's but, also kind of like on Black Summer. You know who wrote the shows when the bad guys had all, all of them were like the plate carrier crew they all look like what people think the boogaloo boys look like off of fucking cnn or or militiamen or two Mm -hmm. advocates or you know conservative white guys but uh at the end of the day pushing that garbage aside i think it's pretty entertaining uh it does show what happens if a oddly enough the the virus there's it's a pandemic Mm -hmm. it's an h5g something or other and you know they start to get the shaky finger I don't know if you've seen this at all. Well, Carrie was watching it, and she was like one or two episodes in, and then I started watching it by proxy. And it wasn't bad, but it was just basically one of those shows that once other shows that we have appointment watching, it basically it slid off our radar. It wasn't good enough to for us to binge watch, per se. We were like, I don't know, episode one or two, we watched in a row, and then when it got to where they went to the let's just say the camp for the video game kids and the panda bear, the, the furries, if right you will. Right where I'm at right now. <laughs> when it got to the furry episode, we just kind of, I don't want to say, it, we just forgot about the show, to be honest with you. It, it, yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at right now. It, it was mildly entertaining. It's, it's interesting to compare a show like that with what's actually going on. Obviously, mm-hmm. it was produced during the midst of the pandemic you could tell because there's the six foot rule and and not et cetera, get, et but what's interesting is is um well explain what the, to the people that ex- came down with this i was gonna say explain to the audience because you're not giving away the, they'll see it in the previews what makes the show different than any post-apocalyptic is when the people got the people who get infected with the 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 disease their offspring I didn't know if it was necessarily the people that got affected, but for some reason, what I picked up on was all of a sudden, all the kids in the world were born as what they call hybrids, basically human mixed with some sort of animal. Yeah, so you might have dog and ears. And these hybrids nose. don't get the disease, they don't carry the disease, and they don't spread the disease. And all of them um, but one don't talk. According yes. to the show, at least early on, because when they're early at the on, train station... Correct. Uh, Sweet Tooth is the the main kid's name. He's part deer, and he's the only one that talks. And so, when they're going through the train station, they disguise him as a kid who's wearing a costume because since he can talk, no one will accuse him of being. Which I thought was odd. And then all of a sudden, there was a bunch of kids wearing animal costumes that ran by, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, okay, maybe this guy. Obviously, this guy that he's traveling with, uh, who was maybe he was also because he was not a. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
I, I saw where he came up with the idea. But, uh, you know, all in all, I think it's an interesting one. I think it's a good one if you've got children so, you know, you don't have to worry too much about the, the gore. Although they do broach some pretty dark subjects Yeah. Uh, for a kid um, and how they would in the future after basically the collapse, they call it the they didn't, did they call it the fall or the collapse, uh, how they dealt with people who ended up with the, the uh, virus. And uh, that's pretty uh, – pretty sketchy and hopefully we never end up there but um yeah it was interesting i just thought it was a mildly not r-rated it's a little darker than i thought it would be just just something to uh to, to watch you know and pass the time because uh god knows we need some decent entertainment out there but everything seems to still be falling back towards you know the fall of society which is kind of crazy yep and speaking of that i actually have on the list A Roku Rewatch. And for those of you who are not familiar with this segment, the Roku Rewatch, if you have Roku TV and you go to the Roku channel, that is kind of like their live TV or their cable subscription, if you will. They have TV shows and movies up there. And this is one I watched both seasons of when it originally aired. And um, I was a fan of it then. And so um, basically while I'm toiling away and downloading updates or copying hard drives, I'm at the shop doing work like today. I'll turn on the Roku TV, and uh, lately I have been watching this. Tell me about Meridian. We did evil, unspeakable things. We opened a dark door, and the devil stepped in. Are you a gunslinger that's just heading out west to look for work on the railroad? Business is not for the weak of heart. Why should I hire you? I'm willing to do just about anything. Make no mistake, blood will be spilled. You've got to let go of the past. Have you let it go? Lives will be lost. You ever been to Meridian, Mississippi, Mr. Johnson? I am not proud of what happened to your wife. Which nearly destroyed itself by civil war between North and South can only be healed by the binding together of East and West. Making manifest our destiny as a great nation. Not my words, gentlemen. It will be built. Originally aired in 2011 on AMC, the show is called Hell on Wheels. Um, it's a uh, Carrie used to re- uh, affectionately refer to it as my choo-choo show. It is about a choo-choo train. Uh, the Civil War is in the past, but former Confederate soldier Colin Bohannon, Bohannon sorry, can't put it behind him. Fresh are the horrific memories of the death of his wife, killed by the hands of Union soldiers, an act that sets Bohannon on a course of revenge. This contemporary Western tells the story of his journey, a story that rides on the Union Pacific's construction on the first transcontinental railroad. Bohannon's Western travels take him to the lawless melting pot of a town called Hell on Wheels, which moves with the construction of the railroad. And this was one of these shows where former hip hop star used to be named common sense and then dropped the, uh, uh, sense and went by the name common. Um, he premiered his acting chops and was a damn good. He does such a good job on the show. He's a fantastic actor. actor. 
So if you want to watch a choo-choo train show and see uh, some fictional history, um, it's definitely good. It's on Roku both seasons, and uh, it's called Hell on Wheels. If you've never seen it and you like, um, you know, shows and movies set in a Pacific particular era, uh, check it out. And of course, with it being, um, with it being post Civil War and being the fact that it was produced before the woke movement. It may be a show you may not want to watch around your kid because there are some of the time slang words that are used quite often on the show. You know, it was an AMC show. It did originally air in Safe Harbor. Um, so there are some colorful languages and slurs on there that you may not want your children um, now, exposed to. colorful language is probably not as colorful as Deadwood. I think that's about as colorful as you get. Uh, well, obviously they don't have the F-bombs, but they did not steer away from racial slurs on this show. So, uh, hoople heads, square yeah. heads, yeah. No, those yeah. were the Dutch, believe it or not. Hoople well, heads the square, were the Dutch. yeah. The square heads were definitely the uh, the people from Scandinavian countries. Oh, What's up, Greg Valentine? Checking in, Grove City alumni, checking in on the uh, Facebook live stream. But I'll tell you what, for those of you who watch the Pacific and know who EB Sledge is, go to WTSP World War II.com. <laughs> He's going to come on for another episode, one Henry Sledge, but we spent probably a good 120 minutes talking about how his father's book came to be, talking about how his family got brought into the production of the show and how the show almost never came to be because the movie Flags of Our Father, which came out during the time they were in pre-production, was a box office flop and lost $30 million that Tom Hanks almost pulled the plug on HBO's The Pacific and um, it took some persuading to get it back up and running, which we were all happy it was. So if you go ahead, no, finish your thought. Oh, I, I, was gonna, thought. I was just going to say wrap it up. If you're a fan of the the miniseries HBO The Pacific, or you've read with the old breed, and you're familiar with who EB Sledge is, go check out this week's podcast with Henry Sledge. So speaking of World War II, what was one of the first things that really got you in the World War II? Um. Much like everybody else, um, the show that diehard living historians refer to as Bandwagon or Brothers. Obviously, we had some military interest from growing up in Rickenbacker and with our grandfather serving. But right around the time I moved to California and I was living with dad and going to school, yes, we all were downloading stuff illegally. And before I moved to Ohio, I mean, California, when I had, was in Ohio, I had HBO and Band of Brothers was on there. And so I started downloading the shows and then when I lived at dad's house, I spent all my time in the room if I wasn't at school, at work, or out. And so I didn't have uh, cable TV in my room, so I was just verbatimly watching Band of Brothers. And then someone, before I, I used to hate reading because I have a learning disability, and reading was always a chore. And I'm laughing because literally if I turn this camera around, there's 30 books here in front of me on a bookshelf. Actually, more than that. I'm I've, not laughing because your last names are spelled. And, and I've read three quarters of them. Yeah, I know. Um, every time I reset it, 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 every time I start a new episode, it doesn't. I don't even fuck with <laughs> That's it. That's crazy. But um, someone got me a gift certificate to Barnes and Nobles. Now, what am I going to do with this? Why you give an idiot? That's exactly. And I was actually flying back from California to Ohio and I had this gift certificate, and so I walked into, and I'm actually looking at the book now, I walked into the bookstore at the airport, and I saw Brothers in Arms, the memoirs of Wild Bill and Babe Heffron, who were previously covered in the, the series Band of Brothers, but this book it goes more into exploits. So I bought the book, I started reading it on the airport, and that's when I realized, hey, 
if I read shit I'm interested in or know about, it's not a chore. It's actually interesting. And so I started buying more, more and more books. But to answer your question, I've covered this on WTSP. One day I was on eBay for whatever reason, and I was just looking at World War II stuff. And I saw a helmet, an M1 helmet. And it, it I didn't know at the time. It was late war, you know, probably Korean War. But anyhow, I bought it, got it. And my first person was, damn, this thing's heavy. And it was cool. I showed it to dad. Then I went home and set it on the desk in my computer room. And anytime someone came to our house and came in the computer room, they'd pick it up and they'd say, damn, this thing's heavy. I couldn't imagine yep. wearing this all the time. And then yep. what I discovered is someone who didn't previously have an interest in the history of World War II, now whether it's for 30 seconds or five minutes because of this tangible item they put in their hand, they realized how heavy it was. And it just snowballed from there. And that's how I got into living history, bought uniforms and all that stuff. And then obviously our grandfather's ties to it, which is. And I remember one of the things we did too that you were really interested in is, and it's, it's obviously not realistic, but you, you're really into uh, COD World at War for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. I think that helped spur that fire even more. A little bit. And and now COD is coming out with a new mm -hmm. World War Two epic called Vanguard. I'm sure it'll be. There's probably going to be enough stuff in there that drive you nuts, just like all the battlefields. Well, I get it. It's 2021. They did have to. They did woke it. Um, it woke it up. Well, let's be fair and let's be honest. Um, to be fair, the only all the only African American paratroopers were part of the 555th, uh, the Triple Nickels, which was based off of the idea of the Buffalo Soldiers, and so they used uh, Buffalo Hood Nickels as their logo. They did all the full blown airborne training but they actually never went overseas instead they were sent out west to fight fires because Jap japan was a lofting what they called um not barrage balloons but they were sending balloon weather balloons over here with bombs on the jet stream and uh, one land in blighted oregon and actually killed the only civilians to die in the mainland of the united states during world war ii was a um, 19 year old sunday school teacher who named um uh, uh, Elsie Mitchell, she was pregnant, and her and her husband were on their way to do a su uh, Sunday school picnic. The car broke down. Her and the kids got out. They went walking around. Someone found the balloon, touched it. It blew up, killed the kids mm. and her. Um, never saw the papers because the government covered it up not to be uh, mean or cruel, but they didn't want Japan to know that their weapon worked. Prior to this, all the other balloons never detonated. One of them got caught up in a power line, but they never reached here. But the whole idea was by Japan is if we can get them to land on the West Coast, burn the nation down, burn up their wood supplies, redirect allocations of you know resources. And so they sent the 555th to the West Coast to fight fires, and they took their airborne training, and they are the fathers of modern-day uh, smoke jumpers. The guys who are fighting fires nowadays by jumping into, that's where it all came from was the 555th. But back to my whole thing, they woke a fight because you can see in the previews, they got the African-American, which I get. It's fine. It's cool, whatever. And then same thing with the infantry. And of course, now the cool thing about the fact that they chose, and when you told me that they're coming out of the World War II games, like, well, hopefully they do Eastern Front, Western Front, North Africa, <laughs> the stuff that haven't been covered. And All they, the fronts. <laughs> and they did. And the cool thing about that and the realistic thing about that is Russia did, in fact, use women. And there were famous women snipers. And so when you see the trailer and you see the women Russian soldiers, that is 100% accurate. They did because Russia didn't care. They, anybody, Everybody's fighting. And so, you know, that accuracy is there. But, no, I get it. I'm looking past it. And I'm excited to see it. And like we say in Living History World, 
Um, anything that gets people to spark an interest, maybe out of the millions of people who play the game, 50 of them will actually start reading books and looking into World War II and seeing what it was really about. So it's it's definitely a good thing. When was the last time um, the Call of Duty franchise did a World War II? Was it World at War? No, it was there was Call of Duty World War II. Um, I have it. Um, it was pretty decent. It was another D-Day game. Um, but once again, the, not to get stuck in the mire, but the uniforms, they were laying on D-Day and P-43s. Uh, it didn't come out until 43. Obviously, D-Day was 1942. You want to watch Don's head explode? Yeah, You're about uniform, to see it. The uniforms are wrong and all that. And I played it, but it it was a rough, it was rough sledding. Um, gotcha. And, um, but, and it was still kind of, it was right around the time where Call of Duty was still coming off their their crap where they had the wall running where they're trying to be other games and when everybody really got out of it when they're trying to be halo yeah well halo mixed with pacific rim or whatever that game was called but anyhow but anyhow i digress but let me ask you a question yeah when's the first time you've seen a circle k in real life las vegas nevada because as kids growing up the first time i ever heard of a circle k was bill and ted's Excellent adventure. I almost said Bogus Journey. That was part two. (laughs) Bogus Journey was part two. No, Bill and Ted Goes to Hell was part two. But yeah, it was Troubles Afoot at the Circle K. And so I never saw, we have them down here, but I was just thinking today, oh, it's weird how certain things like that are regional. You know, Circle K was all over California. It was a plot of the movie. In Ohio, Circle K was just weird to us because we didn't have them back then. We had United Dairy Farmers. No one knows what the fuck (sighs) the United Dairy Farmers is down here. They got the, at least wow. my memory reminds Best chocolate malts. And, and, and uh, vanilla milkshakes. Mm-hmm. They pour all that milk in. Hey, news news on the allergy front. I was told not to worry about the milk allergy I have. It's very minor. So that's good. I can eat cheese For those of you down here, imagine Dairy Queen that sold gas and had convenience store, but had the full ice cream. Not, not the crap you like. You imagine get a racetrack. the best ice cream shop you can have smashed into a convenience store because it started out as a coalition of dairy farmers to try to mm-hmm. you know make residual income on the off seasons you know and all that but um right before i actually i forgot all about it right before i moved to california i actually got a job there went through the training but never actually started and they were talking about how you know the importance of the dairy side of it and the and, and the history of it but yeah we had a gold circle martin no you didn't you're lying <laughs> what movie was Matthew Broderick in when they he was at Target overnight? That wasn't Math, that was not Matthew Broderick. Oh, sorry, that was Opportunity right. Knox. And that because I remember seeing that and thinking, what's a Target? Yep, that was Opportunity Knox. I think Opportunity Knox movie, and that was he was like the poor man's Matthew Broderick. Um, he had done a few things um, since slightly then. retarded Matthew Broderick. Um, here we go, Opportunity Knox. Robert Eager Ebert, um, no, that was a chip. What was it? That's where he's. Oh, uh, <laughs> I thought it was Opportunity Knox, but I guess not. He's he works at Target. The hot chicks there hiding out from the bank robbers. And yes. It's almost like Home Alone and Target, but it came out before Home Alone. What was a uh, movie locked in Target? Opportunity Knox cast Dana Carvey. No, what an opportunity Knox. Uh, career opportunities. That's it. Jennifer Lawrence is in it. Here's the trailer on YouTube. Hold on, let me. Um, of course, there's a. Let me. Uh, 
mute YouTube so that I can unmute Google Chrome. I used to watch this on HBO. It was actually a pretty good movie. And had one of the robbers, I believe, played one of he was uh, Dirty Steve and Young Guns, if I remember correctly. Career opportunities. They're roller skating through a target at night. Basically, he's his job was he was like the janitor. He cleaned up. And she somehow got locked in there, and then two guys come to rob the place. That's not the truth. Was that Frank Whaley as Jim Dodge? Uh, probably. No. Okay. So they just they're roller skating and they slam into two guys who basically hid, I think, in a camping area so they can rob the place at night. But yes, that's the first time. Yeah, the guy played Dirty Steve, and the other guy I don't know who it is. But yeah, he's definitely like a poor man's Jeff Matthew Broderick. They just fell into a stack of TDK tape cassettes. That shows the... 1990. 91 is what I've got. No, 91. Wow, I guess I wasn't that young. Jennifer <laughs> Conley. I can never look at her the same since... Um, oh, what was that movie? Freaking... Uh, the heroin movie. Oh, oh yeah. One of the ones that will leave you effed up for about two weeks. Yes, Requiem for a Dream. Yes. Now you got me... Who was in job? Other than Jen, what was his name? Uh, job opportunities. Hold on. Job opportunities. Here we go. Um, career opportunities. When a night shift custodian, Frank Wiley, is accidentally locked up alone in the store he cleans. He, I'm sorry, in the store he cleans, he realizes he has access to the entire building and decides to indulge his in his abundance of free food and merchandise at his fingertips. Surprisingly, he bumps into a local rich girl, played by Jennifer Connelly. He was also imprisoned in the store that night because apparently they, they locked in. Um, and then they quickly bond. Um, but just as the romantic sparks to fly, Josie and Jim are interrupted by two small town robbers. Uh, Dermot uh, Malorny, who played Dirty Steve in Young Guns. And then um, another cat that no one would recognize the name. I don't think he's ever done anything ever again. His name, he's got a weird name. Kirian um Malorny, I guess. Well, he was in Nash Bridges, uh, Pursuit of Happiness, Life Among Cannibals. Um, anything recent? You, th- you think this is one of the last John Hughes movies? Was that a John Hughes movies? Yes, it was. Wow. <laughs> Written by John Hughes and produced by John Hughes. And probably the and, only John uh, Hughes movie that wasn't filmed in an abandoned high school. Did you know? Instead, it was an abandoned Target. Did you know there's a show on Netflix called, and we talked about in the past, Movies That Made Us, and they're talking about... Um, speaking of Home Alone, Home Alone, all of the indoor house scenes were filmed in the same abandoned high school that um, Breakfast Club was filmed in. Speaking of which, Breakfast Club was filmed in a high school, I think, in Chicago near where my wife grew up. Yeah, it was the same high school. And they actually, the scene in Home Alone where the basement's flooding was uh-huh. built and shot in the um, abandoned pool inside the school. Yes, Maine North High School in Des Plaines, Illinois. Yep. So a majority of the John Hughes movies. Oh, it's also there. the uh, interior scenes of Hughes's 1986 film of Don's favorite film of John Hughes, Ferris Bueller's, Bueller's Day Off. Yes, that's maybe I was wrong about Breakfast Club, but I knew yes, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And same school? No, same school. Oh, yep. So, and then I think after all those movies shot, they reopened a school, and now it's a legitimate working school. So, how's that for all that good stuff? That is. Uh, 
Interesting. I'm so freaking tired. Ditto. All the stuff's going on. Are you ready for the news? Let's do the news. I feel like we're doing a short episode, but then again, we, we spent, you know, we had a, almost two shows in one today. Superior Galactic Grandma, after eating a block of cheese, smoking three packs of cigarettes, and drinking a quart of milk. Disgusting. Yuck. That's the word. Yep. Joining us now from the Digital 410 West News Desk in Las Vegas, Nevada, Gordon Abernathy. Gordon, this just in. Martin Marzikas claiming that in Grove City we had a gold circle. Perhaps we did, sir, but that was years. Not a circle K. Years. Oh, I'm sorry, a, a circle K. That was years after Bill and Ted came out. Um, I don't even think we had one prior to 2001. That's when I left Ohio. No, Whatever happened after 2001 Chevron. and BP. BPs were everywhere. BPs, it was Shell, BBP, and then Chevron. Actually, it was Exxon before BP, I believe. We had 76ers, Marathon, Chevron, Speedways, United Dairy Farmers, and BP. I think it was our our primary ones. And 76ers were pretty much dying out by then, too. Yeah, and no golfs either, I don't think. Down here, we have one one or two BPs that are franchises, not even corporate. They're not the fancy ones. Uh our racetracks are dying out. A lot of the racetracks are turning over. Um, Circle K's, obviously, and then Speedways. But uh, racetracks are popping what up all over. Wawa? We have one Wawa here in the Cape and then one in Fort Myers. I remember when Wawa came down here, everybody was ecstatic who lived up in the north who was familiar with the Wawa. Wawa's all right. I mean, they got good meatball subs, but it's definitely no United Dairy Farmers. See, out here in Vegas, we have Terribles, Terrible Herps. Yes, some- you can all the... Prices, everything that is true. Well, would, uh, we have our 7-Elevens, of course. Well, we have those, too. We have what used to be Don's favorite place to go when he lived in Long Beach, AMPM. Um, well, one of my go, favorite when we just had one in walking distance of the house. That's where I'd go to you buy could get my, a, You could get a corn dog for a buck. And I would, and at the time, that's where I'd get my Smirnoff ices. Before I moved to California, early 2000s, I spent a lot of time in Grove City drunk off Smirnoff Ice. That was like the bitch beer next to Zima. You laugh, but you had a Smirnoff Ice sticker on your mountain bike because we would drink them before we went mountain biking and we'd pull the labels off and put them on our bike frames. I sure did. But I have not gotten into the new fad. Of these? Well, what's before the Truly? What was the big one? Uh, the big one is White Claw. There ain't no laws. You got Truly, and then you got Ranch Water, right? Um, everybody has one now. Bud Light has them. Uh, I Name just, a company, and they've got them. The Beats people. Um, oh, Corona. Corona has some. How did I forget Corona? Coronavirus. But no, we have these because, Carrie, we were buying these when we were out kayak fishing and. um when Are they Dave was on than White Claw. Yes, um when Dave was on the show we tried White Claw. They were gross. You know they're gross when Dave didn't even take them home. <laughs> we <laughs> dumped them all out. Um they make a truly in a white can and the white cans are more like um these are seltzer too, but these have more flavor. Um whereas the one the truly's in the white cans taste like White Claw and they're not as good, so we buy these. So yes, we had a gold like circle. Drinking a LaCroix with alcohol in it. So the reason Gold Circle came up is I got put in TikTok jail for a day and a half, and I just got out this yeah, morning. Yeah, that's right. I, I thought you would bring that up today. Well, now you have. It's the second time, well, this second time I got a video banned for the content. First time getting my PP slap for 24 hours. Um, there's a there's a sound, if you will. If you're not on TikTok, you know what a sound is. It's basically somebody talking. It's a joke. Like, 
I heard you been talking smack, but if you're not careful, I'm going to come kick your butt because I've been taking Taekwondo classes in the back of Walmart, blah, 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 blah. And so there is a, there is a TikTok where guys doing it on an old school hand receiver. Well, I have my field phone and so I do edit him and he's lip syncing it. And I'm just simply there because he's talking about kicking my ass because alleged I've been talking shit. At least that's the gist of the bit sound. So I'm just there affixing my bayonet on the end of my M1 and I just smile at the camera. Don't say a word. And then in the text, it says, I'll meet you at the pay less shoes next to the gold circle. Both places being out of business. Clearly it's a joke. The video is up for a minute and 30 seconds before I went to post my video about the crustless cheesecake, which I don't know why is a thing. If you know, maybe tell me. And when I went to post that video, it said you are banned. Of, it didn't tell me. It basically, I was banned for 24 hours for waving a bayonet around a TikTok. Heaven forbid. Why? What's the purpose of a of a crustless New York style cheesecake? I don't know. It seems like they're basically you're eating cold pudding. <laughs> Pretty much. Every <laughs> once in a while, we get a hankering for cheesecake. Now, Carrie and I have both made the decree. We went down the Adam Carolla roll, which he's now switched back on. But I made a decree because in our extended family, including Carrie's, summertime is birthday heavy. Like, mm-hmm. just this Friday, there was a birthday we couldn't make because Carrie wasn't feeling good. But through the summer, it's like at least once a month, we're going to someone's house and we're having pizza and cake. Pizza and cake. So by, t- by the time my birthday rolls around in June and Carrie's rolls around in August and Nuggets rolls around in July... We are just caked out. And so I made the decree, uh, no more cakes. I want pie. And then I changed that to cheesecake, and Carrie changed the cheesecake. And so we like a good cheesecake. that's a happy medium between pie and cake. Yeah, well, and it's just damn good. Who doesn't like a cheesecake? But anyhow, the last two times I went to Publix to get a cheesecake, they only had green-wise cheesecake, which is organic, and it just does not taste right. They're small and they're gross. And so Sunday night, 9.30 at night, Publix closes at 10, or maybe it's Saturday. Publix closes at 10. Yeah, because today's Monday. See, my days are off because I did a podcast last night. So Saturday night at 9.30, I was sent to Publix, 20 minutes for close, to get a cheesecake because, damn it, we want a cheesecake. Under the express instructions, not if they only have green wise, don't get a cheesecake, get ice cream instead. Good enough. Got so my marching orders. Went back there, and I'm seeing green wise cheesecake, and I said to the lady, hey, you ain't cheesecake New York styles that aren't green wise. This shit right here. <laughs> and she's like, well, I have these. Now, I'm looking at it, and I don't see the, the, the nice, beautiful, crumbly crust end cap, right? The cheese goes down the bottom. But I just assume, well, the crust is underneath. Maybe the cheese ran down over the crust. Whatever. I never made cheesecake. I don't know how you were prepared. So I buy said cheesecake and come home. And like you said, it's basically pudding. There is no crust. There is no beautiful brown crust. There is no... It's just a of cheesecake content on a tray, and you can't even cut it in pieces. Sorry, there's a raw material shortage on cheesecake yeah, crust um, ingredients. You might as well eat the damn thing. Put it this way, the thing's been in there since Saturday, and there's still half a cheesecake left. If that tells you anything. So Be- if you get sneaky, you could go get some graham crackers and crumble those sons of bitches up. I might have some from the camper, but they're probably stale. But I don't understand. It's almost like this was meant to be a, a, t- a two-tiered cheesecake cake, and this was supposed to be on top where you'd put the wedding guy, and they just put it on a platter and put it in the damn freezer. I don't understand. So if any cheesecake aficionados out there want to explain to us, whether through chat or you can Kinda email like us at info at d-410.com, Please inform me of what the purpose of a crustless cheesecake is because it was a fucking fiasco. 
So Good you know, thing I bought both. I bought the cheesecake and the ice cream. So you know about the Appalachian Trail? Yep. The AP, as it's known. A friend of mine hiked the majority of it with his two ferrets. So did a five-year-old boy recently. With his ferrets? No, but he did have an abundance of, imagina- of imagination and Skittles to help him out. Now, does that at all lower the achievement of the adults who have tried this? To- <laughs> In terms of the ones who failed? Yeah. Uh, Harvey Sutton. Or also known as Little Man, and this is coming in from the uh, AP or something, uh, as known as he is known on the AP or the Appalachian Trail, won't have a whole lot of time to bask in the glory of hiking its full length because he starts kindergarten on Friday. Son of bitches. <laughs> five Our kids down here. overachiever. Our kids have been That's, in school for three weeks down here already, believe that. I bet he's not fat. Um, maybe I need to learn from him. At five years old, Harvey is one of the youngest and the latest of several youngsters in recent years to complete the trail after tagging along with his parents for over more than 2,100 miles in 209 days. Speaking of which, isn't there somebody we're supposed to keep up with? Um, yeah, I need a- I think he's been dealing with some health issues because um, oh, he'll go offline for a little bit, but he he'll, he'll stay there. But basically, he like basically hunkers down hunkers for a down. few days. Last time I heard, he was in Tennessee, but I haven't seen a TikTok from him in, in quite some time. I'll have to look. Well, it was it, you know as we know, it's hard work, uh, but he did have fun looking at frogs, lizards, and other wildlife. And so uh, was sprinkling Skittles on the peanut butter tortillas as fuel for the walk. Wow, that sounds like a lot of sugars and carbs. Mm. But when you're five, that makes sense. So he had a good time with rock scrambling, you know, and they were not bored. He said cheerfully on a phone interview from uh, Virginia. He also lives with his parents. This is uh, one Josh and Cassie Sutton. His parents were so busy keeping him engaged and entertained that it distracted them also from the physical pain of trudging along so many miles. Which I'm wondering, sounds like he may not have been a kid that said, are we there yet? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like Papa Smurf? Almost, almost, no. Um, it gave us a bond and strength that we hadn't realized before, according to Cassie Sutton. Other youngsters have hiked the 2,193-mile trail that starts in Springer Mountain, Georgia, and ends up atop Maine's Mount Cadathan. I can't even say that right. And some babies have even been carried on their backpacks by determined parents. But Harvey was four years old when him and his parents began walking this in January and turned five before they completed the journey last week in Maine. So congratulations, man. That is awesome. I just sent David Post a, a message on TikTok asking, are you good? His last post was a month and four days ago. So July 19th was the last time he posted, and he was in Tennessee. So I don't know what's going on. Um, uh, hopefully hopefully unless, all is well with you, David. Yeah, so I just sent him a message. We'll see if he replies back. I don't know what's going on. Um, hopefully all is well. But that's a little concerning that it's been over a month. Yeah. You figure if he something happened, he had to go home. He would post a video saying, "Hey, you know, family emergency or something came up. I had to go home." But uh, so if anybody hears from him, yeah, you know, who follows him, let us know, man. Yep. He started out in uh, was it New York? 
damn yeah, near. Yeah, New York on the East Coast. East Coast. Kentucky, he was walking to California. Ohio. He's in ten, he yeah, he made it to Tennessee. Went through Kentucky, didn't he? Yeah, he made it, he went he went through Warsaw, believe it or not, so damn near it. Hopefully there's no banjos playing. Um <clears throat> What did SpongeBob live in? A pineapple under the sea. Who's yellow and porous and absorbent as he? So I looked at this picture. I didn't send it to you. I didn't have enough time. But a research vessel found a SpongeBob lookalike a mile under the ocean's surface. Ocean expedition exploring more than a mile under the surface of the Atlantic captured a slightly startling yet silly sight this week. A sponge that looked very much like SpongeBob SquarePants. And right next to it, a pink star. Aww. A doppelganger for Patrick, SpongeBob's dim-witted best friend. So Christopher Ma <coughs> was one of the scientists watching a live feed from the submersible launched off of the NOAA ship, Okinos Explorer. He, and he is a research associate at the National Museum of Natural History. That's hilarious. I'm looking at the photo. Yep. It's a square yellow <laughs> sponge and a pink star. Who frequently collaborates with the uh, with Noah, and uh, he's also an expert on starfish. I immediately noticed an underwater creature's resemblance to their animated pals. They are just a dead ringer for the cartoon characters, according to Ma. Mm -hmm. uh, he also tweeted an image of the two, noting the resemblance, delighting a lot of folks. If you guys scroll you know, some up, some people uh, do what they do, and they added faces and legs. If you guys scroll up on Facebook, I just posted a link to, and you'll just see the thumbnail. So you don't have to stop watching the video. But yeah, I just posted. the But video. the problem is, sponges and sea stars are not really friendly with each other. So rather than chilling out under the sea, Ma suspect a different reason for the creature's closeness is that, well, one of them's about to die. <laughs> sea stars like to feed on sponges. Aww. Sponges don't have mouths, right? In all likelihood, the reason the starfish is right next to the sponge is because the sponge is, well, it's about to be devoured, or at least in part, according to... And I'm sure uh, if you look hard enough, you'll find Gary in there, too. Or maybe not. The sponge might be bright yellow because of its chemical defenses, according to Ma. Mm -hmm. Either way, he said, the reality is it's a little crueler than perhaps the cartoon would suggest. Little Nemo, uh, Finding Nemo, clownfish are very aggressive and territorial. So the scientific name for that sponge is a Hertwigia, and the starfish is a Chondraster. And he says that the starfish spotted by the expedition was probably a species called Chondraster grandis. The pink starfish will likely be – that was likely the inspiration for Mr. Patrick. The real-life sponge is yellow is as yellow as the Nickelodeon character. SpongeBob's shape is far from what's found in nature although it looked pretty square to me did you hear the hypothesis there's a pretty cool tiktok page where people talk about movies and conspiracies or ideas about movies one of them mm -hmm. being the breakfast club yes. you ever wonder why they never got caught doing all the crazy shit they're doing well these people's theory are the none of those parallel universe no none of those characters were there they were. It was the weirdo, the one who's hiding her hair and eating the ice cream with the pixie sticks. She was the one imagined that did the uh, 
did the uh, sh- with her hair and yeah, she was imagining the whole thing. She was basically daydreaming. That's why she ended up with uh, Emilio Estevez at the end. She ended up with the jock. And but another one, an interesting but one. But Cincinnati has laugh, last laugh. They're the ones who ended up with Emilio Estevez. Absolutely. There Which is, is great. There is a conspiracy idea surrounding Finding Nemo. Apparently, Nemo. Nemo is Latin for nobody. Finding nobody. And according to these people, and there's a TikTok on it, they can explain it a whole lot better than I am. Nemo and the wife were both dead instead of just the wife. And that his dad was chasing a ghost, which is why the only person who set out on this mission to find this non-existing person is Dory, who has no memory. And so... Basically, they have this whole thing talking about the reason, you know, Nemo was basically dead, died with the mom, too. And the father was chasing nobody, finding nobody. And once again, the reason that's how Dory got involved, because she had no memory. And so she always. Well, I can see that, even though it's probably not the truth. I can kind of see it because if you look back at history and and old nursery rhymes. Mm-hmm. There was always a dark slant. Always. Yep. You know. So we were talking about catching alligators earlier, right? Yes, sir. Apparently, there was an alligator attack reported at Wakahatchee Park in Fort Myers. Yeah, hold on real quick. Um, I'm just reading a thing on here. It's a Reddit user. Uh, Due to the extremely tragic event, this theory asserts that Nemo's dad, Marlon, then went through the five stages of grief, which Reddit users explained. The movie's an uh, allegory, analogy, whatever, for the father's journey through the stages of grief. Denial. He won't let his son go to school because he is not safe. Anger. He scolds his son for venturing out of his control. Bargaining, he puts up with his um, amenazic travel, his uh, his, his travel buddy to help him find his son. Uh, the word for losing memory, a m n e s i a c, um, despair. He sees his son flush down the drain. Amnesia, amnesiac, um, and acceptance. He learns to let go. And then let things be the way they were. So, yeah, there's a whole, like, fandom thing talking about how Nemo was dead the entire time. Of course, it comes from Reddit, and that places a, the whole rabbit hole upon itself. I can never get into Reddit just because I never liked the format. <laughs> you know, it drove me crazy. The, the format of the website itself was enough to make me never go on the damn thing. Well, an angler mm-hmm. at the Wakahatchee Park in Fort Murr. Mm-hmm. Was uh, wandering by, called for help after finding a man who was bit by an alligator Monday. According to the uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission official, the man suffered serious injuries and was taken to Lee Memorial Hospital. FWC officers were investigating at 4 p.m. attack on, <clears throat> at the Bass Road Park at, located adjacent to Summerlin Road late Monday afternoon. The Wakihachi Center offers a dog park, recreation and fitness center, so you may want to be careful taking Bailey there, and picnic shelters along with other related amenities. This is a 50-acre site which opened in 2005 and has a creek, or some of our our southern brethren say, creek, mm-hmm. and several ponds on the property. 
Senior official uh, from FWC, Adam Brown, who is the public information officer, said the injured man was 60, had suffered bites and, and related injuries to his left shoulder, left arm, and torso. That sounds like that fucker was getting close to his head. <clears throat> the rescuer uh, found the victim wandering about a mile down power line grade path behind Lexington Middle School. A guy fishing saw him. According to Brown, he rendered aid and called for emergency help. The FWC contract contacted uh, Newson Alligator Trapper, mm-hmm. who was on the scene. David Grobe of Fort Myers, out walking a rescue laboratory lab. Isaac around uh, one of the parks and ponds said he wasn't really concerned. I've been coming here for years, according to Grobe. I usually see them. You know, talking about the alligators. He said that he's never had any problems with these reptiles. You just got to keep away from them. Got to keep um FWC says uh, serious injuries can be caused by... Oh, I'm sorry, that's not what I wanted. Um, here's an interesting thing. Once the alligator is caught, it becomes property of the trapper. The gators are sometimes taken to live on a gator farm or they can be harvested. Turned in the boots. Mm-hmm. So that is my short news for the evening. Short news for the evening. This concludes the evening news, and now back to the ACT Computer Studio in Cape Coral, Florida. What's up, Mike Brumley? What's up, Mom? What's up, Katina? What's up, Martin Marzika and everybody else? That is going to wrap it up for this episode of the What's in Your Head podcast. Um, Thank you guys so much. Be sure to check back and head over to d-410.com as we announce the launch of the Tackle Your Best fishing podcast that I will have nothing to do with, so don't worry about it. It's not me just trying to shove more me down your throat it's just me um helping people start their own podcast expanding the network and like i said i listened to the first episode and i actually learned quite a bit uh so they were definitely insightful entertaining and so um go to d-410.com at the first of the month for more information on that and as always, this episode of the What's Your Head podcast is brought to you by our friends at At Computers. At Computers has been providing IT solutions for all of Southwest Florida since 2004. And even if you don't live in Southwest Florida, they can help you. So give them a call at 239-283-1120 or head over to their website at act-capecrawl.com. And as long as your internet works, they can assist you by remote login via their website. And if you do live here in Southwest Florida, please give them a call at 239-283-1120. They can help you out with computer repair, laptop repair, um, Wi-Fi expansion, smart TV setups, basically anything technical related, they can assist you. They can also help you with um, getting set up with online backups, virus protection, and the like. So for Gordon, myself, Mike, and Ron from the new Tackle Your Best podcast, this is the What's Your Head podcast, and we will talk to you all next Monday, like always. And this is called me stretching until I find the button that sounds like this. This has been a Digital 410 production. (laughs) Cool, man. We're out. Ah. Later. Mm-hmm. <laughs>